1: Maybe it's, it's okay that we just simplify it down. I mean, of course, there are some people who might have more specific needs and might need to be more careful, but I just don't believe that nutrition and healthy eating should take away the joy of a good meal and the joy that we can get from, from eating good food. And, it, and that doesn't mean that we have to be a Michelin-starred chef.
0: Welcome to the Doctor's Kitchen podcast with me, Dr. Rupi, where we discuss the most important topics and concepts in the medicinal qualities of food and lifestyle. This is the podcast to listen to if you want actionable tips on how to improve your health and well-being. My guest today is none other than Amelia Faria, who is an experienced nutritional therapist who graduated from the four-year Institute of Optimum Nutrition Course back in 2007. She's been really one of the pioneers in terms of improving people's understanding with, uh, of food uh, and the appreciation for food. And, and really, and I mentioned this on the podcast, she was one of my early uh, motivators, um, a real inspirational character for me when coming to understand the importance of food and also the biological pathways by which we know food impacts our health and well-being. After years of struggling with her own diet, she uses her own experience to transform the lives of others. And amongst her success are some really famous names, including Victoria Beckham, James Corden, Sam Smith. Um, I mean, it's really a scientific and holistic approach with clients that is, you know, really against fat diets and exaggerated food marketing hype. And. I just think that what she represents is is truly genuine. I've known her for a number of years now, and the media backlash, I think, against her was quite unfounded. Um, Something that uh, we talk quite pertinently about in the podcast. Um, I actually made one of her delicious uh, recipes from her brand new book, Simply Good For You. Um, which is really the perfect uh, book for busy people looking for simple, tasty, nutritious meals. And I think her experience of, of now being a new mother has really uh, changed the way she looks at food um, and focuses really on improving um, the, the flow of meals, reducing the time needed and simplifying the ingredients list. Um, something that really does resonate with me and speaks to the fact that I have to create recipes for busy people on the go as well, including NHS workers. You can find more about the podcast and all the links to Amelia Freer's incredible work on the doctorskitchen.com podcast website. Please do give this a five-star review if you find it helpful. And I'm going to summarise our discussion right at the end. And you'll also see on YouTube, The Doctor's Kitchen, the recipe that I made for her, which is out of her own book. Um, Essentially, it's a posh pot noodle onto the podcast. I hope you like it. I Mia, mean, yeah, thank you so much for coming down to the studio. Thank
1: you for having me.
0: It's really cool actually because we've known each other for a number of years, but we haven't really like you know hung sat down and hung out and, chatted, and stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Although we did have that dinner, I think with um, yes, Drew who came down. Yes, we did. That
1: was so lovely. Really
0: nice. Yeah. yeah, with a whole bunch of us from the UK. Anyway, uh, I'm going to be cooking an incredible recipe from your brand new book, Simply Good for You. Um, and I love this recipe because it's exactly the kind of thing that I need when I'm working in yes, AE or yes. in clinic and, and shifts and stuff like that. Yeah. I describe it as a posh pot noodle. That's <laughs> perfect.
1: It's exactly what I was thinking actually, yeah. because I had a client at the time who loves pot noodles. Uh-huh. I remember thinking there must be a way to do something that's as delicious you yeah. know, but much easier and more nutritious. So. Absolutely,
0: without the e-numbers, the additives, the exactly. you know, excessive flavor. And I mean, the flavor comes from um, the miso, the beautiful mushrooms you've got here, broccoli, a bit of veg stock. Um, I'm super excited to, to get involved. So, I'm so glad. It's well always like, I usually start these pods off with me explaining what the recipe is, but I'm just gonna be explaining for the listeners. Okay. And the be watching on YouTube. Uh, so the buckwheat noodles, I've already par cooked and drained uh, with cold water a little bit of sesame oil just to make sure that the strands are separated I've got some spring onions that i'm going to finally chop with mushrooms um, uh, some broccoli tender stem um, that i need to finally chop some ginger sesame tamari bit of chili the miso which i absolutely love i love miso. it's it's so versatile as well yeah. i think you've done another recipe with miso butter
1: i do and pasta. I d- yeah i yeah. do use it quite a lot and I think these, these kind of um, Asian recipes, people often think they're really confusing and it requires lots and lots of uh, different ingredients or flavours. And actually, I think, as you can see, there's sort of five main ingredients here that give the flavour. I was doing a podcast yesterday and they were raving about these store-bought um, cartons yeah. of, like, the miso broth that you can add. Oh, I know the one. And I was like, uh, it's not that difficult to make it <laughs> and it doesn't have to cost that much. And that's got sunflower oil and lots and lots of unnecessary ingredients in so i'm so glad that you chose this recipe to make i love just sitting here while you're cooking yeah
0: i know it's quite nice isn't it i mean it's the whole like the concept behind the doctor's kitchen podcast now is actually like you come to the doctor's kitchen um and like i just think it it makes the conversation and everything a lot more relaxed the food yeah um and you enjoy the food and stuff so so yeah so tell me a bit about the book and how it came about because you've had a busy couple of years congratulations thank you you have a uh, beautiful willow yes I believe her name is yeah. um she's two she's two so she's yeah. going through the terrible two oh, stages, yeah, maybe? she's
1: very yeah. bossy and opinionated yeah. and really um finding her voice uh-huh. <laughs> which is lovely it's yeah. lovely but yeah, it, yeah it's full-on gorgeous yeah so the book came about um i suppose uh, as you know i've i've sort of been working in nutrition for well over a decade and worked with thousands of clients and learnt I mean you know so much from working with those individuals they 've always pretty much shaped the themes for my for my books, mm. um, but I suppose what i 've really observed over the last couple of years is that as, as popular as wellness has become, and of course you know there 's no disputing the importance of it. We still want to promote uh, healthy living for uh, to as many people as possible, mm. but somehow it had started to become a bit negative and a bit fatty and certainly really confusing mm. now we know it is complex working with unique individuals and obviously when you're working one-on-one with clients all of the time we have that wonderful opportunity to be really personal with them and work out what their specific needs are but for the general population when you don't have the privilege of working with them one-on-one they still want some you know guidance and to be inspired uh, and sort of shown that healthy eating is possible for for everyone. And I just wanted to, I, it kind of made me sad that it suddenly had this heavy, confusing, expensive, yeah. negative um, sort of uh, attitude around it. And, and I thought, no, no, this is terrible. Mm. It, it actually can be really simple. Or at least, you know, everyone can start simply and then, you know, work out if they have specific needs further down the line. But we all know that cleaning up the diet initially mm. is one of the best places to start. Mm. So... Um, since becoming a mum, I also have so much less time um, that I really didn't appreciate before um, to, to cook and uh, certainly cook in the way that I used to. So I, I had to learn quite quickly how mm. to keep my h- healthy habits uh, in place. And, you know, I did lose them for a while. I yeah. won't I won't deny yeah. um, in yeah. the early stages of motherhood. Um, but slowly, because I was feeling rubbish, I thought, OK, how can I get the nutrients that I need into my diet in a really quick and simple way? Mm. And so that was really how this book evolved. I just started to write down what I was eating every day and what I was feeding my daughter and cooking for her as I was weaning her. And then obviously feeding my husband and friends and family as they came to visit. Um, And it it was just really, really simple recipes. So I'm not ashamed of how simple these recipes are. I'm not trying to impress people with culinary skills here. It's just actually... To have a balanced meal isn't as complicated as, as we've been led to believe. And of course, there are exciting times to be more gastronomic with our food choices and our cooking. But this is every day, the times in between, the everyday real life when we get home from work and we're completely exhausted, we don't really have time to prepare a meal.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mm. I mean, I think that's um, that speaks to the mm. sort of way I like to cook as well and letting the ingredients speak for themselves mm. because it's really about, if you boil it down to its bare minimum, it's about getting as many different complex ingredients into your diet as possible, um, marrying it with some good herb spices, and that's pretty much yeah. diet in a nutshell for most people. Yeah. But what you're honing in on this is actually the behavior change around healthy eating what the barriers are to healthy eating and actually taking those down which i think is is really admirable uh, and and something that you have always known and, and it, it's really frustrating i think because i think when you are in the public eye your message can be miscrewed in in a whole bunch of different ways yeah. as as yours has over the last few years um and and I just, yeah, I just think it's frustrating.
1: <laughs> it, it, it's very frustrating, but I suppose it just provides an opportunity to learn how to be, you know, incredibly careful with yeah. the words that you use yeah. um, and, and how you share information. And mm. as I said to you earlier, it's totally different working one-on-one with someone. Yeah. But when you're sharing a message in a more general way, you have to understand that there's so many different individuals who are going to read your message in a different way way Mm. Um, and but you know that's that's this this book has really achieved that I'm not telling anyone how they need to eat Mm. I'm just giving them options so that they can adapt each and every recipe according to their own you know individual needs but I think the the point is really is just that there's been this continuous message that we don't have time to be healthy we don't have time to cook from scratch um, life is too busy and, and I get it because I, I, I relate to it. There was a period of, of time after giving birth to my daughter when I just ate toast. Yeah. But I thought, well, okay, if I'm going to be eating toast, how can I make the toast nutritious? So there's a whole chapter in the book yeah. called Hero Toppings, which yeah. is just how to make a piece of toast a complete meal. And actually, maybe maybe it's, it's okay that we just simplify it down. I mean, of course, there are some people who might have more specific needs and might need to be more careful, but I just don't believe that nutrition and healthy eating should take away the joy of a good meal and the joy that we can get from from eating good food and, it, and that doesn't mean that we have to be a michelin-starred chef and Absolutely. you know have, have really fancy skills and, and knowledge
0: yeah i mean I, i'm as we're talking I, i'm just putting a whole bunch of ingredients in a bowl and <clears> pouring <throat> hot water over it
1: so so it's showing everyone that's pretty much a meal made in a few minutes
0: in a few minutes yeah i'm just going to top this with a little bit of um uh sesame seed and the uh sliced chili um i don't think i forgot anything else but i'm going to put some raw spring onions on the top because i love a bit of raw spring onion just for that bite um and then you just need to let let that steep for a couple of minutes right and then allow all the Uh, beautiful flavours of the miso and the the bit of veg stock that I've used in there to infuse
1: and as you said this is the kind of thing that you want to take when you go to work because obviously you're doing it in a lovely bowl now but in the book I've done it in a jar because you can basically put all of those ingredients dry into a jar and take mm-hmm. it to work with you and just pour the hot water over the top. So hence why you said the posh yeah. pot noodle. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it is actually food that we can travel with.
0: I tried to get um, that that uh, that mason jar, actually, that size, but I couldn't get it from my local local Sainsbury's. But um, I'm sure you can get it on Amazon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or other online retailers, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> so have you changed your um, your sort of the way you eat personally throughout the, the years? Because... I know you've spoken before about like how you challenge that your diet, you challenge yourself with your diet, yeah. you change things up. I don't
1: believe that that you know health is a destination, and you sort of start eating one way and then say that's it for life. Mm. And and obviously as a nutrition professional, I'm always intrigued to understand the new different ways of eating, whether it be keto or intermittent fasting. So I always am quite intrigued and I experiment with it myself. Um, I suppose like I used to be. Um, I, I, Dairy and gluten really don't agree with me and I know that and I've known that for years. But now that I'm responsible for feeding my daughter and I want her to have as diverse a diet as possible and there's no indication or reason at this time that suggests she shouldn't eat those things. um, And because I refuse to cook separate food for us, I'm now eating foods that don't necessarily agree with me as much. Mm -hmm. But I'm kind of relaxed. I've never been someone who's been sort of heavy about nutrition. I think that it's really important. I know that I eat a really good diet Um, But I'm incredibly balanced about it as well, because I do believe that food needs to be joyful and, you know, part of our social and emotional health as well. And I think that sometimes that message gets forgotten about. So so I'm pretty relaxed. Um, I mean, I definitely like the other night I went, I was doing an event for work and they gave me uh, some food that, you know, is not, in my opinion, healthy food and it wouldn't be the food that I would choose but while I know some people would be like, oh, I can't eat that, it's bad for me. I'm like, okay, well, it's not what I would choose, but I'm going to eat it yeah. because I think we need to apply some common sense to, I, I to think nutrition.
0: It's, it's really funny because whenever I'm, I'm out with my mates, right, and, and we're going to a restaurant... Mm-hmm. I'm perusing the menu, they'll always jibe me about, okay, well, there's no vegan option here, or like Rupi's just going to get the green salad <sighs> or whatever. I'm like, this is not how I eat. And that's why I think I, what I've started doing on my um, social media posting and, and the messaging, um, and it's, I have done for, for a while now, it's just posting what I'm eating after a shift uh, yes. at, 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 yes. at the hospital. And last week, for example, it was a, a pizza um, that I bought. You saw that. Yeah, yeah, you see that. Yeah. yeah, it was a piece that I bought. I, I did make it with a broccoli salad and some olives and stuff like that on the well, side that's to be there. because we
1: know yeah. the importance of eating our plants. And exactly. I think it's perfectly fine to balance out a not-so-healthy meal as, by adding some vegetables. And that's what I would totally. do if I order out or that's what I do with my daughter. Yeah. Just trying to always, you know, balance it out. But I always say we don't have to be perfect to be powerful. Mm. And I don't think... And, and that's where I think again with the me- the message was simply as i wanted to say to people look it, you know w- w- none of us are perfect all yeah. the time and not not as health professionals yeah. and no one in real life and i think we've we've got to sort of take that that extreme pressure off our life doesn't have to be perfectly instagrammable at every single stage in order to enhance our well-being we can have a sort of normal balanced approach yeah. to it yeah. and I that think- might be the occasional pizza or I don't know, ice cream or yeah. glass of wine or whatever. And I think uh, looking at how I'm feeding a 2-year-old mm. is actually sort of it's just applying that common sense. You can never deprive a 2-year-old of ice cream or cake. It would be unrealistic. Yeah. But I'm just moderate about how I expose her to them and also how I approach it so I don't make it a treat or yes. a reward or anything special yes. or fancy. Yeah. It's just part of real life.
0: Yeah. You've probably gone on a, a, like a long journey over the last couple of years, in particular, or since having Willow, mm. because you're being exposed to all the other sort of nutritional practices within pediatric care. Yes. Um. I, I so I've been doing my nutritional masters, um, nutritional medicine masters this year at University of Surrey, and there are some modules that I perhaps, I probably wouldn't have chosen to take. Uh, had I didn't uh, had I you know had the opportunity not to, mm-hmm. but I did them and I learned so much about the complexities of weaning, uh, oh, of yeah. preconceptual nutrition yes. as well as um, postnatal or all the different types yeah. and things as a GP. I kind of felt embarrassed that I didn't know about. Yes, um, and I think uh, was that the same for you? So like since having a child, you've learned actually a lot more. I'm though. so
1: embarrassed to say that because I, I think. When I was studying nutrition, having babies was so far in the future for me. I didn't pay that much attention. Uh, Whereas I I know that when mothers are sort of at that stage, they they really open up their ears and they want to have every bit of of knowledge. So I went into motherhood rather blindly, and it it has been a case of learning on the hop. And uh, yeah, it's such a hugely challenging and complicated and and, and difficult time of life for most women. So I'm fascinated by what I've learned. Just just amazing things like the human body will prioritize the the nutrition content of breast milk irrelevant of the mother's diet, but it will make sure that the breast milk is nutritious. Yeah. Things like that,
0: it's just genius. Yeah, totally. So I, it's
1: fascinating. It's funny
0: you say that about like, being a breast what you knew before, because I remember when I first started talking to patients about the microbiota and stuff, this must've yes. been like five, six years ago, I'd just come across this and I was super excited. Yeah. I remember I was prescribing some antibiotics for a child, I think it was an ear infection or something, quite, quite standard. And I said to the, the mother, you know, you might want to consider increasing the fiber in their diet, we know that antibiotics have a negative impact, although we're using it appropriately for this this child. Yes. Uh, I was like, you know, you can give them lentils and chickpeas and <laughs> like all these vegetables and she was like, she turned to me, she's like, you know, kids do. you? <laughs> she was like there is no way I can give oh, all this different food to my hilarious. kids like that. Only eat this, this, and this. And I was like, well, you could try it. And it's like and the conversation so kind of descended. Funny. But yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> but yeah, we learn slowly, don't we? Yeah, we learn. I mean, I look back and I think of. You know, I've worked with so many clients who have been mothers of young kids Mm. and they've had the exhaustion and they've had the loneliness and the isolation and all of the mental health challenges that come with uh, early stage motherhood as well. And, you know, I I, I thought I understood. I was empathetic. But I, I, I really didn't have a clue. So yeah, you, you do kind of learn hard and fast when yeah. you're actually in that driving seat.
0: And I think um, embracing imperfection uh, is actually a very healthy thing to do. Vital. Um, yeah. yeah, it's yeah. almost like, you know, I, I mirror it with the um, plant hormesis, which I'm absolutely fascinated with. The the, uh, the thought that you know turmeric or curcumin or whatever actually elicits a mild inflammatory yes. response that generates a protective response from your own body. And I think yeah. the same could be said slightly of mild stresses in our food, mild behavioral stresses. It makes us a lot more resilient overall. And I think you have to look at the net positive. That's a
1: really good, yeah, that's a great way of thinking of it.
0: Oh, I'm glad you agree. <laughs> okay, I think we've had uh, these noodles have had a nice uh, bit of steeper. I'm actually going to try this because I know this is your recipe, so you know what it's it tastes I like. I love this recipe. I know. yes. Yeah, so I'm, I'm glad you're going to try it. It's the first time I'm going to be trying it on the pod.
1: I'm glad you chose to make this one.
0: I'm, I'm yeah. I mean, it looks amazing. <laughs> I do like a broth. Oh, that's Wonderful. That's really good really good it's got a tiny bit of heat from the chili actually that's yeah. just steeping in there but um, yeah. that is wonderful
1: and Ooh. that's a meal in minutes
0: exactly that's literally a minute minutes whilst we've been chatting at this point i usually ask my guest how the food was <laughs> but you already know how it is because it was your recipe so I'm not going to ask you that but it was delicious I'm uh, so
1: pleased
0: Joel and Will our, uh, our crew here today uh, absolutely loved it so I'm so glad thumbs up thumbs up <laughs> so far so t- we were talking in the break a bit about how things have changed for you over the last like four or five years how perhaps um, you change things in your practice um, our belief system and I think that's really I think it's really important to be honest about those different things Mm -hmm. because, I mean, I've been practicing now in medicine for over 10 years. Things that I would have done when I first qualified, when I was training in general practice, even things that I would have done perhaps in the last two years Mm -hmm. have definitely changed. Not massively, massively, but they've definitely changed. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really important to like to talk honestly and openly about that which you do I think it's it's just
1: life I mean every profession we we, we all evolve as human beings and certainly in the science field we're learning all the time. I mean, the science that I had access to when I was first training in nutrition, which is nearly 20 years ago, of course, we now know more. So of course, uh, you know, the advice that I've that I now give has changed from the early days. And I guarantee you that in 10 years time, the advice like at the moment, we've been told that we need to be eating 30 different plants a week in order to feed our microbiome. I'm sure as we learn more about the microbiome, we're going to learn more. So that information is going to change in 10 years time. I think it's i'm not ashamed of how i've evolved as a practitioner i've learned through the clients that i've worked with more than any of the scientific studies that i've done obviously it's so important to have the knowledge and to keep it up to date which i do passionately but um, working with human beings you've got to be able to tailor your knowledge to meet their needs and support them and most of my clients Want to be inspired they want to know how to feel better they want to know what to eat for breakfast they don't want it to be complicated and challenging and another form of stress in their lives so um you know i have of course i've i've changed and i've changed uh i've changed yeah i i changed my practice all the time yeah. and uh uh i, I think it's of course, it's difficult if you've been out there and given one set of advice, but I think maybe because social media is such a new medium for us all, um, and there, there wasn't any sort of training into how to manoeuvre it, but I suppose I'm learning um, faster than anything, uh, yeah. you know, how to be, very, to be very careful with the words and choices and the advice that I give in, in such a public platform, because it can just be misinterpreted in so many ways. Definitely. I think...
0: As health professionals, we have to be conscious of the vernacular that we use to describe certain things. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it is intentional in terms of like we are using certain words to provoke. Um, Like like the title of my second book, for example, Eat to Be Illness. It is not a literal interpretation of, oh, we're going to cure cancer with food. It's actually how do we fundamentally get to the root cause of why we're seeing so many different illnesses and how we can use food and lifestyle to prevent them from starting in the first place but i remember like um, i don't think i've ever told you this but you were super inspirational to me uh, a number of years ago when i saw one of your early lectures i think you were lecturing that rsm i can't remember what the event was but you talked through this clinical case history of uh, a patient who you'd seen and you used a whole bunch of different nutritional therapy interventions on this Mm -hmm. patient and you had these miraculous uh, incredible results and i remember thinking at the time i'm a gp i see probably 35 40 people a day and i've never come across that sort of level Mm -hmm. of reversal and i think it's it's testament to a couple of things a your incredible training but b the amount of time that you have with patients as well and how you can give personalized interventions yeah
1: and it's i mean i mean i'm so proud of um ha- having the, the the knowledge and the skills and and I think I was really well trained to be a practitioner, which is so important it's one thing to have the scientific knowledge, but actually working one to one with you know vulnerable human beings mm-hmm. is 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 such a skill i think i was I was well trained in and it's it's just the best part of my job and it's the thing that I probably miss the most at the moment as i've my careers taken a slight change in path while i you know had my daughter and and things but I just love working one-on-one with people and and you know understanding that just simple changes in our diet mm. it's not complicated mm. it doesn't have to be fatty or expensive or crazy just simple changes can have dramatically powerful uh, impacts on on people's health and how do you
0: how do you approach patients when they come into clinic these days uh, is there like a I, I i'm i'm assuming everyone's different and everyone has different challenges and you know you start sometimes not not even with food it could be stresses sleep a whole yeah. bunch of different uh, issues that are underlying uh what it seems to be a nutrient deficiency or the patient has identified as a gut issue. Whereas actually there are a whole bunch of different causes, but is there a certain like formula that you use or certain like must haves that you.
1: Yeah. So we take an incredibly thorough, um, uh, case history first. So, uh, I have pages and pages of information from this client because to me it's like putting together pieces of a jigsaw mm. and uh understanding you can sort of pick up quite quickly i mean I, I i i let the client tell their story for quite a large chunk of that initial session and i'm always very clear with clients that the first session is really a getting to know session and if clients beforehand come to see me and they want to just come for one session and they want to be told everything, I probably won't see that client anymore in a way that in the early days I would have. Mm. But now I'm very clear that this is a long-term approach, uh, a process, and that it requires the client to be really engaged and committed to the process if they want help, because I do not have a magic wand that I can wave and make them change their diet. Mm. So... Uh, I take a very thorough case history and spend a long time listening to the clients. And I think, you know, I can sort of start to pick up whether this is just about the food or if it's something else. And certainly for for like weight loss, which obviously I get a lot of people come to see me about, uh, I will always start with sleep and lifestyle before I even talk about the food. And often it's looking at um, are they conscious of their emotions and uh, do they use food to avoid uncomfortable feelings which is so common nowadays and I love having all of that aspect come into it so it's people might want me to, to leave seeing me being given a list of things that they need to avoid <laughs> yeah. and that just doesn't happen with yeah. me it's much more a list of what they need to embrace and and think about and um take into their life
0: yeah instead I love that that perspective on like you know actually embracing a whole bunch of other aspects of your lifestyle I remember um uh, I, I actually I think I still have my nutrition bias if I'm honest um, I always ask like the five questions what do you eat for breakfast lunch dinner what do you eat what do you snack on; what do you drink nice. um, but I think that's a product of the time constraint that I'm, I'm under because I'm, I'm not yeah. private or anything but um Certainly, sleep and stress. You can
1: learn a lot from understanding what someone eats for breakfast, and of course, I have a food diary as part of my case case gathering uh, history.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, what when it comes to actually assessing people's sleep, I'm really interested in this as a clinician because I I, I like to try and learn from other people as much as possible. How do you assess that? Because whenever I ask the general question, even in A and E, right, sometimes I'll ask about sleep. Uh, which is, might That's sound so odd. But they look at you like what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, not if they've come in with like a laceration, as well. and I have to like you know bandage them up. But um, uh, how do you how do you address sleep? Because whenever I ask the question how people sleep, most people say, "Um, it's all right, it's fine," or you know, I sleep. How do you dive deeper into that? Well, I've got some quite
1: specific questions on my Mm. case history um, that people fill out. And it's sort of, what time do you go to bed? What time do you wake up? Mm. Because you're right, some people will say four and a half hours sleep. Yeah, I sleep fine. Mm. Um, So, I mean, it's sort of taking the broad principle that we should be sleeping for roughly seven to eight hours, which I think is you know we know obviously everyone is unique but um, if people are showing the symptoms like foggy head weight you know struggling with their weight etc then I'll always ask them if they sleep and most people tell me that they tend to wake up between the hours of three and five or one and two um, and so we got to talk through basic sleep hygiene hygiene um, in, encouraging people to take up better bedtime habits turn off their phone uh, that kind of thing are they having a pre-bedtime snack which sometimes people need if they haven't eaten enough or are they eating too late so it's just looking at their their habits and seeing if we can change it but often just explaining to people the importance of it helps them to understand that oh oh yeah i don't just have to give up chocolate yeah yeah exactly yeah (laughs) maybe i need to to look at you know not not sitting up on my phone until one o'clock in the morning
0: i think it's just so pervasive in our current society that we are addicted to i'm I, i'm very free to admit it, i'm addicted to my phone if yeah i really am because mm-hmm. a i rely on it for all the doctor's kitchen stuff and social media and all the rest of it um, and b it, it, the, the algorithms are there to keep our engagement there is a an arms race going on and it's for our attention mm-hmm. and that isn't to say that everything about social media is bad because I agree with a lot of what uh, other people in social media have said that social media is basically a mirror. It's, it's reflecting our own insecurities. It's reflecting what the, both the good and uh, bad uh, aspects of our characteristics, our, our personalities. And so we can't blame
1: everything on social media. It's actually us as well. Yes. So interesting. So interesting. Such a shame that we're all so addicted to it. Then, <laughs> I, Yeah, I, I don't, I don't, um, I, I feel I've, I've kind of removed myself um, from social media. Again, I think it's probably been influenced by being a mum. I don't want my daughter to see me on the phone. And so I'm much stricter about phone usage. And also just because I have such a shortage of time these days, I can't give, I can't give my time over to social media and my phone. So I'm quite disciplined that I'll do it for about, I don't know, 30 minutes a day, and yeah. then I
0: just switch it off. And just switch it off, yeah. Cause I, it's I, quite
1: liberating. I, yeah.
0: My experience is that it's been quite an angry place over the last couple of years and yeah. that it's um, it's definitely impacted my self-esteem and the Indeed. sort of messages that I, I put out there for fear of being attacked. Yeah. But at the same time, and we were talking a little bit about, about this in the break, I think we still need to be true to ourselves and what actually interests us yeah uh whilst being responsible healthcare practitioners in terms of having an audience
1: yeah it's 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 something i 'm still trying to work out because i'm 'm similar to you i've found it very angry and i 'm not inspired by i don 't think being angry and swearing is a way to inspire anyone and so i I just can 't get my head around that and um yeah i'm not i'm not a confrontational person I just don't want to get into Long debate, so it, it it has made me incredibly cautious and think long and hard about what I share. But I, then I suppose I I, ha, I do also feel a responsibility to share what the follower like. Why are these people following me? What do they want? And give them that rather than give them what I want. um But I know, but then you're right. It steers us away from actually being just our true self So I think uh I don't know. Still work to be yeah, done in still that work. area.
0: What well, one thing I maybe noticed. it doesn't
1: have to be as important. I mean, I just find. Turning my phone off at seven o'clock at night and reading a good book is much better for my mental health and my sleep. And and maybe we're just putting a bit too much emphasis on something that is just an app.
0: I really think so. I mean, uh, I'm I'm definitely in line with um, Venetia Faulkner. I don't know if you, you've. Come I've up been with on Venetia. her podcast. I've oh, been yeah, on a podcast. There yeah. you go. Yeah, what she um, said. She's uh, she she's doing the forty-eight hour challenges oh, every yeah. every weekend, which I think. Yeah. Especially for her being a young woman who's very influential, who's got a hugely engaged audience. I really find her like a responsible um, influencer for for lack of another term um, because she's putting positive messages out there. And I Mm -hmm. think going back to how, you know, you deal with criticism and you deal with attacks that are unfounded. Mm -hmm. First, you want to see, okay, is this constructive criticism? Yes or no? And if it's not, just respond to to it with love yeah. and gratitude I always say
1: kill with kindness exactly yeah, yeah.
0: because <laughs> the more I, I, I'm actually very grateful for the negative as well as the positive experiences that I've had mm-hmm. In life, in general, and and in on social media as well, because it just makes you grow more as a person, as an, and as a definitely, clinician,
1: and it's all part of the involvement that we were talking about earlier. Mm. I don't. I my favorite podcast to listen to is Elizabeth Day, How to Fail. I haven't. I'm willing really to get into. Oh that. Oh my god, it's yeah. so good because it is just What's, celebrating successful people's failures, or not celebrating as in, in a in a. You know, nasty way, but uh, we all fail. We're all going to slip up. We're all going to do things that we're ashamed of, or that make us feel inadequate, or that we need to improve on. But of course, we all grow out of that failure, and 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 I'm all for that. Mm. And so you're right. I don't I don't sort of um, I'm not afraid of, of of some of the things that have happened over the last few years. Yeah. They're all just a part of of making my career. And me, you know, stronger and a better
0: person. Yeah, the veneer of social media, I think, needs to be chipped away because I think it's this image of perfection which leads mm-hmm. to, like, unhealthy thoughts about your own self. And even, you know, sometimes I find myself scrolling. and I'm like, oh, but this person's doing this. And, and then I look through my own feed. And I'm like, actually, Rupee, people are probably saying exactly the same thing about you. So you need to be, again, like, responsible in terms of the content you put out there to make mm-hmm. sure that i mean there's so many different things to do these days it's just quite exhausting if that's what
1: i mean it's quite exhausting i mean <laughs> some people say you have you have to be i mean i i'm just i'm not prepared to start showing every aspect of my life mm. and taking videos of myself first thing in the morning and showing i don't know uh, bad quality pictures because I, I i enjoy i'm an aesthetic person i enjoy beautiful photography and Uh, you know they're some of the feeds that inspire me the most so it's not that I'm trying to be fake or put up fake content I just have boundaries around what I'm willing to share and I still think from uh, I don't know I I, I just I'm not going to sort of change it but it doesn't mean that I'm being fake or untrue I I still with my words share share what I hope hope is of value to people yeah no absolutely
0: (laughs) and I think your book is incredible and the books that you've written before as well have actually helped a lot of people think about their food because it's a touchy subject these days to talk about food because you're fear for fear of being privileged for fear of you know making food seem you know too unattainable but actually it's an yeah. important conversation on the grander scale and that's why Always. you know I will continue and you will continue hopefully to you know push the message
1: it's a cornerstone of of healthy living and we know that healthy living is irrefutably important for our general health and sense of well-being and I just you can make such a a, a, a powerful impact Mm. with food choices and and yeah you know despite the fact that that the the industry has shifted and changed and attitudes have changed and it's become I don't know a very crowded space uh, I've helped thousands of people with my books and I still get those emails and I still get those messages and Mm. You know that's what I set out to do
0: that's great I, I love getting that feedback as well from mm. people and, and even books that I've recommended as well like people message me and like thank you so much for that recommendation because yeah. you know that's actually helped me I'm like that's great it yeah. doesn't all need to be about like me and the yeah. books that I put out there there's so much other like yeah. positive things that yeah. people can enjoy yeah
1: absolutely <laughs> one it's of the just kind isn't yeah it? let's just <laughs> all be kind <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> one of the things so we we're talking about this in the break as well about um, uh, functional medicine uh, which has pros and cons. One mm. of the best things that I learned from my time going to the annual conferences mm. and some of the training that I've done as well um is regarding the timeline. And I found yeah. that just telling people to do their own timeline without any guidance, just just, just yes. like write on a piece of paper when you last felt well and just map out what happened and show that
1: to a practitioner and yeah. just see what happens. Yeah, that's so clever. That's so clever. Uh, yes, I love. I, I use the timeline in my own practice, but I really, it's it's a great point. Often, if clients turn up to a consultation and they haven't bothered to fill out the paperwork, I, I sort of have to explain to them that they're not going to be that connected or aware of of this process, and and therefore they're coming and just hoping that I've got this magic wand. Mm. Um, whereas actually, getting people to fill out uh the questionnaires and actually start to reflect and look and 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 connect with their health is sometimes the biggest learning that they'll do because we know we're all just too busy and life's fast paced that we often just disconnect from our own health and we're not really conscious of our habits and maybe what we're eating day in day out so yeah i think i think that's a great thing to do
0: yeah it's just kind of the, the five questions that i ask people because then they realize okay um i don't snack that much that's the identity that they've built for themselves but yesterday I did have this, this, and this. Yes. And actually that happens on a regular basis <laughs> yeah. when you probe a bit. And so it just those questions I find are quite motivating yes. for the individual. Yes, I agree. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, when it comes to uh, like different tests and different supplementations, mm-hmm. have you refined your practice to like encourage that? Or is it the same as it's been? Or is that no, evolved I've, I've over time? I've um, massively
1: changed the way that I practice. I mean, when I first graduated, we were sort of quite... Uh, I mean, my training was was certainly, and obviously it's changed a lot. This was yeah. nearly 20 years ago. But uh, I, was, I was definitely quite into supplements, using lots of tests. You know, I think when you're a passionate uh, new practitioner, you just have all of this stuff and you want to give it to everyone. Um, but over the years, I've definitely um, pulled back a little bit and I think simplify it. I think that stress, we know, is is uh, hugely impacting people's well-being. And I don't want to give anything to my clients that pr- pr- create more stress and usually these tests which you know the the different tests have changed so massively over the course of my career Mm -hmm. it's made me kind of much more skeptical and dubious and I just tend to think we can actually do really powerful things with some very sensible moderate lifestyle changes such as improving the diet looking at sleep looking at exercise and talking about you know how they connect to their friends or colleagues and, and family and do they have good strong solid positive relationships in their life yeah. um and so i i'm i mean of course there are times when i've worked with clients that i wouldn't have been able to get them on a more positive path without sometimes addressing their supplementation or using the odd test i mean now i do more simple blood tests just to look at their hba1c and vitamin d levels and um sometimes check iron level you know that sort of stuff so that's a, a an important part if you're a bit baffled by a client, and of mm-hmm. course nowadays the trajectory has changed so much the clients that come and see me nowadays they they already eat pretty well whereas yeah. years ago they really didn't yeah. they hit, they hit beige diets and it was like ah oh, here's the rainbow of vegetables and let's talk about fiber and you know that it's not it's it's a diff, it's a definitely a different conversation now mm-hmm. um so I kind of enjoy working with the tricky and complicated cases of course when you have to delve in a bit deeper and sometimes tests are essential and sometimes nutritional supplementation is essential but on the whole I play it pretty safe and I just want it to be a positive, um, you know, I want the clients to go away feeling like they can make changes and it's a positive experience rather than you have to take all of these pills yeah. and do all of these tests and make all of these changes yeah. but I'm not going to lie I did that in the in the, in the early days well yeah. to, be, to be fair I think
0: speaking like really honestly we, we in the medical field have done that as well and I think nutritional therapy gets a bit of a bad rap because people just think oh it's just supplements and well,
1: tests. people make and dreadful assumptions without any understanding exactly. and without actually looking into what it involves
0: and the same thing can be said of the medical community people yeah. might just think oh your doctors just going to give you drugs and you know do surgery and that's it and that's all medicine is well actually no a medicine that is, is evolved mm. perhaps in the same way as nutritional therapy has yeah. evolved you know we try and i think we as a uh, as a profession are recognizing that we have over investigated over medicalized mm. and over prescribed mm. as well and um i mean there's some f- fascinating editorials on this in the BMJ where we've talked about the the issues around polypharmacy and I don't know if you've come, come across the British Museum uh, one of the latest exhibits I think it'll be on until uh, May but my nutritional medicine professor told me about it it's um, a cabinet full of uh, uh, different pills that have been consumed by a 70 year old and honestly this cabinet extends pretty much the length of the museum and you're like Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. We we are responsible for that. And is this necessary? I mean, don't get me wrong. And again, we have to like excuse <laughs> everything we say here like constantly. But, yeah. you know, ph- pharmaceuticals have been responsible for the prolong- prolongation of life and the betterment of the human race, without a doubt. But there is a tipping point and there is a balance to strike there. And, you know, we certainly, and polypharmacy is something I see on a daily basis with any patients that are over the age of 55, mm. and it's just so pervasive. Mm. Um, and so we need to be respectful of, you know, the fact that we're evolving, and we don't high, put ourselves on a higher pedestal of a nutritional therapists. or any well, other Well, the fact that we're
1: just having this conversation is is so amazing, because again, when I first... I uh, was studying nutrition and and I did go and talk to some GPs and I really, you know, so passionate. I wanted to work in, alongside them in their practices and I remember just the dismissal was so yeah, you know, so disappointing. And and that really has changed the fact that there's so many doctors like you and we know there's loads mm. who who are now so much more conscious and aware and and that's just uh, you know we, we are as I keep using the word, we're just all evolving and that's part of life. That's mm. uh part of of all of our professions but it is of course so exciting that doctors are more open-minded to nutritional therapy but of course I still believe that there's a really important role for nutritional therapists who are trained to work you know one-on-one in a yeah. much more uh, in a much deeper way than maybe gps have the time for or the training for yeah. and so i just think it's it's great that we're all having the conversation and there's a place for for everyone to totally do you fit in
0: yeah it's, it's one of the reasons why i started the non-profit coloring medicine because i want to encourage more of those conversations mm-hmm. between professionals mm-hmm. and it's very much a collaborative organization that helps uh, medical students learn about cooking as well as the foundations of nutrition, mm. so they know when to appropriately identify where there might be nutritional issues mm. and where to refer on yeah. as well. Yeah. but on the outset, honestly there 's been some people that have been hugely skeptical because of the notion that you know gps or doctors can talk or should talk about nutrition which i just think is just crazy it's 2020 yeah
1: yeah
0: of <laughs> one of the things that i remember you saying on a podcast um is it's not the food's fault and i really like that expression because i think uh if you look on um social media or on google mm. and you look at benefits of or harms of any ingredient, you will find something that can prove broccoli is bad for you, nuts are bad for you, meat's the worst thing you can ever include in your diet, or the exact reverse as well, everything that you said. So what I'm fascinated in and is as you as a nutritional therapist, you know, you, you really get to the crux of like how to navigate the food landscape for the individual rather than, mm. you know, the other way around. And like, oh, these are the things you need to remove out of your diet completely. Well, I
1: think for, you know, when I first um, got into nutritional therapy and, and studying nutrition, it was because I had a, the most appalling diet. Mm. Uh, it was beige, it, it was um, completely processed uh, and there was nothing fresh in it. And so when I, and, and I had, you know, I just remember just existing with this tummy pain all the time. And I kept going to the doctor and they were just giving me pain relief. And to me, I just was like, I just can't keep taking Nurofen um, for for all of these symptoms. And I had acne and I was given ra- uh, Racutane. And um, so I kind of took like a cocktail of drugs in my early 20s. And of course, then started to see the, the knock-on effect mm-hmm. of, of those. And they weren't really getting rid of the symptoms. Mm-hmm. So... Once I started to learn about nutrition, um, I very quickly was removing foods from my diet and I started to see these foods as dangerous, as negative, as poisonous. And so uh, in the early stages of my career, I thought of food in that way. Um, and then as I learned through working with more and more clients, I learned that that's a really negative approach to to food because I started to really get into cooking and really enjoy my food and I wanted to have the enjoyment of food and not feel afraid of it and of course we see now with with orthorexia there's a there's a very big movement towards people being fearful of food Mm. and and I really think I really know that that's that that's wrong and so I started to change my approach and certainly by my third book nourishing Glow, the 10-day plan Mm. I created the positive nutrition pyramid because I wanted people to actually focus on what we need to eat every day rather than what we don't Mm and we've got the eat well plate but that is just per meal and i wanted the positive nutrition pyramid to show people what a day can look like or should look like ideally if we're focusing on healthy eating and so it was actually a colleague of mine in america donna james who used the term it's not the food's fault and i just thought brilliant absolutely brilliant and i use it day in day out now because i lo- i realized that what i changed when i improved my health it wasn't the foods that i removed it was that I changed my whole approach to food. I started cooking from fret, from scratch and eating fresh food. I started eating more fiber. I started eating more vegetables. I started drinking more water. I cut down on my caffeine. I cut down on alcohol. I removed the processed foods. You know, it uh, it was a whole positive uh, lifestyle change that actually helped me to get my health back on track. Yes, I took probiotics. Yes, I took digestive enzymes. Yes, I just increased the, the, the nutrition in my diet. Um, so... There might have been a period of time that some of the foods that I removed, it was it was beneficial for me to remove. But I think that once you change the landscape of a, of, of a human being, you can and should be able to enjoy a very well-balanced diet. And that means that we shouldn't be afraid of pizza yes. or ice cream or wine or some of these things that I said earlier, are so important for our cultural and social and emotional health. So I think that we've gone a bit too far, it, and I, I did it too, of, of blaming the foods. And actually, it's much more about uh, changing the environment of the host. Yeah. And then I think that food is, is, a, is a lovely way that we can moderate and, uh, and improve health. But, but, but we should have, have a bit of both, the joy and the health.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And no that makes total sense because I'm always like an advocate of it. it's not just the food that you're eating, it's who you're eating it with around the table. Absolutely. And it's a, a, a pillar of Mediterranean style eating. And mm-hmm. I think it's something that, you know, goes is the intangible aspect of eating that goes beyond what we just see in studies and what we mm-hmm. see in papers and 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 research like that because there's so many unknowns. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> we still
1: know so little. And like I said, I've, I've watched that happen over the course of my training and, and career. I, food is so much more than nutrition science. Obviously, nutrition science is fascinating to people like us, yeah. but it is so much more, and we mustn't forget that. And I think we've got to find that sort of gray. Yeah. Part in between yeah
0: because i love the reductionist approach don't get me wrong i'm a conventionally trained medic i love learning about pathways and when i knew and i began to understand the pathways behind why certain phytochemicals can yes. turn on signaling mechanisms yeah. and you know improve yeah. your immunity and all this kind of stuff it's like wow it's amazing yeah it's amazing I, I agree and i really want to share that with people as well because yeah. i think that's actually quite motivational and in some cases yeah. i i think and this might sound a bit controversial that some investigations whether it be a genomic test whether it be a microbiota test whether it's right or wrong it's probably all going to tell you to do the same thing which is going to be eating the rainbow etc but that itself might be the motivating factor versus if you just walk into my clinic and and i say you need to eat this there's a test in front of you you're like oh
1: wow there's a test we love a test of course lots of people love a test they want they want a bit more evidence and they like that um you know bespoke personalized approach they want to know that this is what they need and but i mean i get a lot of people who uh ask me well where should i go to just find out what i might be missing in my diet Mm. and i i sort of i i don't know i just think you know relax we should be led by symptoms but we shouldn't be too fearful um about it yeah yeah (laughs)
0: absolutely yeah and i think on that note, actually, I'm I'm fascinated with uh, uh, with the science behind fasting. Uh, I don't think we know about it enough no. to talk about it or to or to recommend. Well, I'm I,
1: cautious as ever, always I know, sit, sitting yeah. on the fence. But always,
0: yeah. <laughs> Do you have any opinions on it? Yeah, all?
1: well, I've sort of I, I think I've from from trying, you know, the sort of hardcore intermittent fasting on myself and only eating for the eight hour uh, period. Mm-hmm. I found that um, initially it was fine, but But quite quickly, I think my body went into a stress Mm. response um, and very low blood sugar. So definitely, I don't think that um, I would recommend anyone do something that I consider to be that extreme. Mm. I think for really, really super fit, super healthy individuals who don't have stress, who manage their health well, they don't have any symptoms, Mm. then some of those those kind of people can thrive on that. But for the average client... Um, that I work with uh, I don't think that they respond that positively to it Mm. but so I've chosen a sort of more gentle I think more gentle real life approach um, which is try and fast for 12 hours overnight because I think that's really achievable and I don't think that's hard for the majority of people Mm. Um, and I think that that's kind of sensible advice that most people can have a go at And then I really reduce snacks for people because I think that too many, well, certainly in my experience of working with clients, people unconsciously graze throughout the day and they use it as a source of stress management or anxiety management. And they're maybe just not aware that they're actually eating on an hourly basis. So I really encourage that people fast for maybe four to five hours in between their meals Mm -hmm. so that you actually only have three sensible meals in the day and then a 12 hour fast. I don't think that that's stressful Mm -hmm. or unhelpful to people. So... That's yeah. my gentle on the fence approach. No, no, I,
0: I totally agree because I, I don't think people mm. give enough attention to the fact that it can elicit a stress response mm. if you're fasting and you're constantly thinking about food, food, food. Um, so that's why even the intermittent fasting windows of eight or 10 hours might not be appropriate for everyone. Um, my my consultant actually, he, uh, I don't think he'll mind me saying this, but he's experimented with fasting for um, days at a time. And um, he actually found it pretty revolutionary for him mm. um, because he's already in a stressed out environment he was actually doing the fasting whilst he was at work, um, and uh, it was just yeah easy for him to do. Um, yes. And a lot of people do enjoy the whole process. And I think it's, there's
1: something quite liberating if you're yeah. not thinking about food all the time, and you actually just remove the, the, the need to eat mm-hmm. uh, away, and then you can actually focus on other things. And I can certainly skip dinner, for example, um, if I if I need to. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I've heard I've heard some amazing positive stories but I'd be very cautious to recommend it in a general setting like this um, or with the majority of my clients who I don't think, I think they've got other work that they need to do first before doing something that extreme
0: Yeah, I'm pretty intuitive with my eating habits actually, like when I feel like, uh, well that's the other thing that you need to be careful about, you can't just say well eat what you feel like, you know, and I think there's the flip side of intuitive eating Mm. or whatever the movement is, but like just eat what you want and have pizza or whatever, Mm. that's the exact, no, no, (laughs) we're going back well, We're worse. Yeah,
1: it, it depends. Yeah, yeah, I think that there's a place for those things. Sure. Yeah, um, sensibly. But I always say choose your worth it moments. I mean, to me, you know, eating some chips while walking with your grandfather on Brighton Beach, mm. that's a worth it moment. Mm. Eating some cake on a loved one's birthday, that's a worth it moment buying a 99p muffin from the petrol station, not a worth. No a works, yeah. And so I think that, of course, they're, they're, like I keep saying, social and emotional health is so important to, to respect and, 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 and know that food's a really important part of, of that. But uh, I don't believe in just like you wake up and you feel like eating chocolate and pizza. Yep. Come on, we've got yeah. to have some common sense.
0: Exactly, yeah. I think common sense is something that's lacking uh, generally uh, across the board. But um, I love that concept of uh, worth it. Worth, worth it, it moments, moments, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> so I'll often, you know, you, you can get home and you can feel tired and you can feel anxious and sorry for yourself and think, yeah. shall I just have X or just call deliveroo or whatever um and and just having that little chat with yourself is it a worth it moment or what else could I be doing to make myself feel better right now and I use things like non-food treats like sometimes I I mean for me my experience is if I'm anxious I start to think I'm hungry Mm. and fortunately I've managed to learn over time that when I start to think I'm hungry and it isn't a meal time. Hmm, I'm not really hungry, what else is going on here? And it's actually giving space to that anxiety and, and sitting with whatever the uncomfortable feeling is or fear mm-hmm. um, and giving it a moment and then doing something really kind for myself, like playing with my daughter or cuddling my dog or going outside to my vegetable garden or calling a friend, just other acts of kindness. And it's amazing how the hunger dissipates. But it's something that I've had to learn over time because I get anxious a lot and yeah. so I used to think I was starving all the time yeah
0: yeah absolutely I love that image of you playing with the dogs and, and the and it's willow just those
1: things that, yeah just lovely little moments that yeah. nourish us in other ways yeah once yeah. you've but you have to give a moment uh-huh. to the fear to the feeling that we're trying to suppress with yeah. food whether it be loneliness fear For yeah. me it's it's always anxiety like that something's going to go wrong I'm going to say something silly yeah yeah. get in trouble in some way
0: (laughs) (laughs) well I suppose it's from past experiences I guess isn't it and you know you're you're right to be alert on the subject matter of simply good for you um I think most people listening to the podcast will know kind of the things that we should be eating in terms of rainbow of colors largely plants lots of different complexity and variety herbs and spices etc but uh You've most likely developed a few hacks, considering the last couple of years you've had balancing your social media life, your professional life, uh, being a mother, etc. What are the kind of like simple food hacks that you've developed?
1: Well, so exactly as you say, I've sort of taken a, a modified Mediterranean diet. I have a little sum that every meal must consist of one source of protein two or three vegetables or a source of fruit uh, or and, um, some kind of healthy fats and some kind of carbohydrate. So that's my sort of maths for creating any recipe or approaching any balanced meal. So every recipe in the book is a complete meal so people don't have to worry about adding extra things. Um, In terms of hacks, I think I'm not afraid to make shortcuts. So there's some instant recipes in the book which are for those nights when you get home and you you can't be bothered to peel an onion or cut a carrot. Um, So there's a few meals that you can just pop in the blender and you've got something in under 10 minutes. Um, I think that we shouldn't be afraid to buy pre-cooked pulses like chickpeas and lentils because who has the time to soak? If you do, brilliant, but Mm. I don't. Mm. Um, And so those pouches of like pre-cooked quinoa and rice. I really um, love those. They're expensive. So, of mm. course, for, you know, it, you have to choose whether it's speed or budget that that is, uh, you know, your, your preference or your, your needs. Well, um, I keep those in
0: the cupboard for those moments when I need them. And I yeah. can't, you know, I don't and have time be to cook. And you can't be soaking and doing it. Exactly. Yeah. Mm.
1: So I think we mustn't be afraid of the shortcuts and the what might be considered cheats. Mm. Um, they're still going to be able to help us to have a balanced, nutritious diet. But I think for me, it's just... Speed, like sometimes I can look at a recipe and I just see it as really complicated and involving five different pans mm. and 20 different ingredients. Yeah. And I'm like, no, 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 yeah. you can do this in one pan and remove half of those ingredients and still get uh, a decent meal. Yeah, but I think flavor is key. You know, you can take some protein and vegetables if you don't have good flavor, yeah, it's going to be pretty joyless.
0: I've got a couple of hacks, mine are um, grated pre grated ginger and pre grated garlic oh, in the freezer. Yeah. Totally. Really good. Yeah, I've yeah. always,
1: I get those from Waitrose. Yeah yeah, 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 I get them from Waitrose as well. So, yeah, always, always use those. Other supermarkets uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> I'm sure that the other supermarkets do do them, but I remember <laughs> discovering them years ago. I, I've yeah. always provided, the, you know, I advised them to my clients, the pre chopped onions as yes. well. Yeah. So, in the book, there's a lazy dal, which oh, is yeah. made literally using the frozen onions, the frozen ginger, the frozen garlic, oh, the frozen nice. chilli, coconut milk. You've got a lazy dal, and it tastes amazing, amazing. in 10 minutes. Oh, that's I mean, of course, if I was going to be doing a dinner party, I would spend a bit more time and toast the seeds and <laughs> the, toast the spices and everything. Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes we just want a quick, comforting meal. Yeah, totally. I think taking that, the, taking the need for perfectionism away, mm. is is so important. But I suppose my other tip that I give to people a lot is um, is maybe not a hack as such, but I think making healthy eating a way of life. Mm. Um, it's so important that we are not slaves to recipes and that we learn four or five or six or seven recipes by heart so that we just know what ingredients we need to have in the cupboards. We know how to make that recipe without having to keep stopping and pausing and reading the recipe. And I think that that, you know, and then it becomes part of our weekly repertoire. We just know what ingredients we need. We know how to knock it up in 10 minutes. Um, And I think that a lot of people sometimes are still quite um, duty bound to the recipe and feel that if they don't have one ingredient, they can't make the recipe. So, So there's a whole section in the front of the book explaining to people how they can adapt a recipe to suit what ingredients they have or if they can't eat a certain ingredients, how they can remove it and replace it with something else. And I think that it's so important for kitchen confidence to, to, to feel that you can play around with a recipe and make it your own.
0: Totally, yeah. And on that, I, I like that because I forgot to put the tahini in your recipe. Did you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you didn't realize. I didn't realize until now. I'm just thinking, I forgot
1: to put the tahini in. Did you? Yeah. I didn't notice that. So busy chatting. <laughs>
0: There's so many points in this podcast that I wanted to highlight, um, the first being essentially the principles of healthy eating, which are very, very similar and in, in line with mine. It's about eating whole foods, a rainbow of colours, yes, increasing your diversity and complexity of food, quality fat and tons of fibre, and yes, plant focus. essentially the exact same conclusions of both of my books and something that I doubt will change over the next 10, 15, 20 years unless something miraculous happens. Um, Also personalizing it to the person, this is something I'm going to be talking about with another dietitian friend of mine who um, does certain investigations to make sure that we're giving tailored advice. Um, And the third thing is um, kindness and actually practicing with kindness and maintaining a professionalism that I think is lacking on social media, Um, you know, despite the number of accolades, despite the uh, number of academic uh, um, achievements uh, of of anyone, you know, you you still have to maintain respectful professionalism amongst each other and and actually... um, be appreciative of the fact that we can get things wrong and we definitely have got things wrong here. You know, there's some things that I'm embarrassed about with regard to uh the pharmaceuticals that we've prescribed in the past without real clear evidence base. That isn't to say that all pharmaceuticals are bad, but certainly we need to be a lot more reserved in our judgment of others. And finally, to just say I really hope you enjoyed the genuine, authentic conversation I had with Amelia. Um I, I find these sessions incredibly insightful enjoyable and to to have the pleasure of cooking for for friends you know it's it's great and and for you guys to be in a a fly on the wall in our conversation i'd love for you to go for you to um, give this a five-star review share it with colleagues who feel like it would be beneficial for please leave a comment and we love love your feedback Please join the newsletter. We give two science-based recipes every single week, plus lots of tips to help you live the healthiest, happiest lifestyle. And um, we will uh, see you back here next week.